Welcome to Beyond the Tree Tower, stories from Decatur County, Indiana. Thank you for listening. My name is Andrew. The music we're listening to is If the World Stopped Spinning by 650 North. We've got it so easy if things get... 650 North is based just south of here in Ripley County. You can find them on Facebook at 650 North. You can also find their music on Spotify and other streaming services. While I'm not On each episode of Beyond the Tree Tower, we explore the people, places, and things that make Decatur County unique. On this episode, we take a peek inside one of Decatur County's most unique homes. This was, you know, the office of the mayor, Uh, so this now is a guest bedroom. We also visit with Lori from Wildflower Artisan Bakery. We need to go to Florial Bakery and Cafe in Chicago and kind of stage in the kitchen. All of this and more is Beyond the Tree Tower. Like many small towns, Greensburg has several unique and interesting buildings. Some, like the state Oddfellows home that used to be at Rebecca Park, are sadly forgotten to history. But several remain, and we got a tour of one of those buildings that is now being used as a private residence. This is Jason and Kim. They live at 114 North Michigan Street in Greensburg. Thanks for... uh... Yeah, letting us in. <laughs> well, happy to have you. And that is the address of the 116-year-old Carnegie Library. Between 1883 and 1929, 2,509 libraries were built with money granted by millionaire businessman Andrew Carnegie. In 1901, Greensburg Mayor A.M. Willoughby secured one such grant, and in 1906, the library opened. Quick note on pronunciation, most people pronounce the word Carnegie. The man who paid for the building pronounced it Carnegie, so that's what I'll stick with, although both are acceptable. Uh, obviously it acted as a, as a library, which you guys remember for many, many years, and until 1995 uh, when they made it into a city hall. I asked Jason and Kim for a tour of the library, turned city hall, turned private residence. Kind of the, the history behind it, you can see kind of through the plaques, and actually there's a couple, actually three main ones that we have throughout here. Uh, obviously the original one, uh, rumored that there is actually a vault with the original plans uh, underneath here, but we have not been gutsy enough to uh, rinse this off the wall quite yet. <laughs> I also asked them how they ended up owning such a building. <laughs> wow. Um, working at GCOM, Frank Manis was the mayor at the time and we were doing some tax abatement programs uh, for the additional investment GCOM was doing. Happened to come in here and talk to Frank and get him to sign some stuff. And I was like, wow, this is a really beautiful building. And he's like, oh, would you like to buy it? And I was like, yeah, right, okay, whatever. <laughs> and he's like, just keep your eyes open. You know, you know it might be, be coming up for sale here. Uh, we kind of kept our eye on it. Uh, there was, you know, ads in the paper uh, regarding going on public auction. Uh, so it was a city hall public auction, uh, closed sealed bid. I do accounting work. My parents are both school teachers. Uh, you know, it, it's who buys something like this? You know? It's. I'm like, there's no way. 
seal bid auction and they called our names and it was kind of like, oh, okay, I guess we're going to move back to Greensburg. And suddenly, they were living in a century-old library with all sorts of unique features. The most striking of which is the illuminated dome 25 feet overhead just past the main entryway. It's painted with images of classical literary masters. The dome is retained. Uh, we've actually had it perfect uh, twice now. Um, but we, uh, we had the tornado uh, seven years ago that it came through, eight yeah, years ago. Cool. Uh, this is not the outer dome that you're looking at on the inside. There's actually a secondary dome and it's a good 20 foot still up to that yet, probably even further uh, to the copper portion that you can see outside. Fixed it after that, and uh, it has continued to kind of leak. It's kind of a, a bit of a trick to have a 115-year-old copper top dome that has glass in it. So upstairs, we really haven't done a lot to, uh, other than you know a little bit of painting, cleaning windows, and and uh, this was you know the office of the mayor. Uh, so this now is a guest bedroom. Really nice for my elderly father who comes and visits because there's a bathroom uh, within close proximity. So obviously, it's a very uh, symmetrical shape. Uh, so you have the mirror image here, uh, planning and zoning department. You know that just seems like an appropriate place for a pool table, I guess, to do some planning and zoning. Uh, then another bathroom here. Uh, this kind of leaks into the kind of catch-all slash bedroom slash computer room slash. <laughs> Uh, ladder room. So many unique features lead to just as many unique issues. Uh, when we first moved here, very first problem we had was changing a light bulb. You don't just get on a regular ladder, ladder and change light bulbs. Uh, so we had to invest in some scaffolding, take on some of those challenges of not having a shower, uh, not having uh, a kitchen. We have no garages. <laughs> yeah, no, we do have bats. Uh, his name is Barry. His Barry. And then cleaning and maintenance. Heating and cooling. It's just, it just takes a lot. We've actually lived in every single one of these rooms during painting. And the question has always been how to use this great space. You know, again, the, us using this as a house was not the original no. intent. <laughs> no, yeah. uh, and it's still not. The living space was more for the downstairs, was, was more for us. Mm -hmm. And the upstairs could be utilized for... We've talked about, you know, an electronic library or, or some sort of art and, art and history annex for the library. It just, I really struggle, you know, we really struggle with... What's the best way? What's the best, yeah. And what would you still share it but not abuse it. I could easily make a, bed and, a, a two room bed and breakfast, but what are people gonna spend the night here for? Um, you know, professional office space. Uh, I think you were approached once. Yeah by a lawyer who mm -hmm. would, uh, so would, we've considered it. I mean, a breakfast buffet, everybody, all of our friends try to tell us to do a breakfast buffet With here. all the churches around. Like all the it's, church. all, it's really limited on the space. I mean, you, you know, even for a yeah, wedding, you could have, yeah. And 50 was full. And it's not as big as one would think. You get 100 people in here, yeah. it, you're out of room yeah. very, very quick. I asked Jason for his dream scenario for how the main floor of the library could be used. Uh, retail business location, you know, I wish Apple Store would be in that one, and that one would be Robert's camera. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, and then all the kids can come out here and play with the technology, that would be amazing. 
<laughs> the main floor still feels very much like the library, and it still feels a bit like a public space. But the downstairs? Uh, and then as we go downstairs, I can show you where we actually spend most of our time living-wise now. The basement was completely remodeled when it became City Hall and has undergone more changes since. Also, it's where Jason and Kim live. But every inch of the downstairs has been touched by us. Oh, wow, maybe, this is drastically different. Maybe twice. <laughs> For those of us who grew up with the children's and young adult library rooms in the basement of the building, the change is striking. Water and sewage works, which also lends itself to being a bar. Uh, just kind of seems to make sense. So this was going to be kitchen number two eventually, and, and still maybe at one point, but it's turned into a... Uh, uh, workout area slash storage area. So this was public restrooms, uh, so the, the, all the fixtures were the same. Uh, we just added, uh, added the shower, our bedroom, and with the attractive wiring and recycling area, <laughs> and the second world's largest water softener. So this is, this is your bedroom right now? We actually, yeah, this we, we, We've, yeah, we've, like I said earlier, we've slept in every single room at one point in time. We actually ended up back here, uh, mostly just for the, the bed, the comfort choice. I'll show you the other bedroom that we really set up initially for our bedroom here, but that's on the other side. Uh, for our first couple of evenings here when we were <laughs> spent the night here and the radiant heater was going, there's a slam valve uh, that has it... Uh, it, it rattles, it shakes, and everything else, and all of a sudden you hear this like that, and the whole house is shaking, and you're going, what was that? And somebody says, oh, that's just a slam valve right here. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Even though the building has been a private residence for more than a decade, the location, architecture, and importance to the community are still tangible. Oh, I still get water bills. People leave their water bill in my mailbox. Yeah. We do. We do take it to the water company and not cash it. And city hall mail. Right. mail. We get mail, yeah. Oh, if we don't keep the door locked, we have people just walking. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and then they're so embarrassed. I'm like, yeah. it's fine. I asked Jason and Kim what it's like living in a former public space, particularly one that's beloved by much of the community. I've, I've been mowing, and there was a nice older lady that just sat there. I just kind of just sat there until I was done mowing. I'm like, I don't know what's going on here. What's going on? Like, ah, yeah. My name is blah, blah, blah. I was like, do you mind if I take a peek inside? And I'm like, no, come on. And on average, maybe at least at least once a month, probably. Oh, yeah. Uh, probably more. more frequent. Christmas, we had a lot of kids that were home that hadn't been yeah. back home for a while. And they would come in and they're like, wow. Yeah. Yeah. And that was fun. That was fun talking to them. <laughs> and, and again, we've, and I said that earlier, not one request, not one person, if they want to do an arts council, if they want to do a fundraiser, if they want to put us on the, the home yeah, tour. That's cool. uh, that's cool. I mean, we have never said no. And, you know, it, it's, that's something, mm -hmm. I think, we're, we're sensitive to the fact that this is a personal experience for guys like you. It's Greensburg's building. It's Greensburg's building, Kim says. Jason and Kim have embraced the idea of stewarding this historical building that has meant so much to the community. And they've found so many ways to love it. Holidays, family family gatherings, oh, yeah. Yeah. like uh, just 
being able to host Thanksgiving and have eight, nine, ten different toilets and that's a great and, thing for Thanksgiving. You know, yes. 15, yes. 15 places <laughs> to, the family in. <laughs> a couple of guest bedrooms in case you need to yeah. take a nap. nap and you have one football game here and one going downstairs. And yeah, we kind of really fell in love with, with this place. It's all just amazing cross-cut wood. Uh, you just, I don't even know how you would go about replacing or even coming up with something like that. The leaded glass on the front door when you turn mm -hmm. the lights on. It just makes it just makes just crazy rainbows everywhere. Yeah, you gotta uh, admit that's the prettiest doors. store in Decatur. Way out in five counties. No matter what the future holds for the Carnegie House, it's nice to know that Jason and Kim are there to keep it loved. It's a beautiful building. It's all awesome. I mean, like there is nothing like this anywhere else. I mean, they, I just there's nothing like this. Thanks, Jason and Kim. And while Jason and Kim are extremely generous with their space, during the pandemic, of course, there are no visitors allowed in their home. The Carnegie House is one of the most recognizable landmarks in the county. Now we turn our attention to a business that many folks in Greensburg don't know about. If you travel up to St. Paul and you go downtown on a Saturday morning, You'll see people hurrying in and out of a storefront that reads Wildflower Bakery. Just let us know, yes. Yes. Let know when you're ready. Um, we'll do a couple of the spinach feta. And okay. I caught up with the owner, Lori, while she was prepping for the next week. I don't buy um, already pre-grated carrots. I grate my own. I think they're a little bit fresher that way. I'll do this is a for a special order. When talking so, about a bakery, I've it's got, best um, to start with the food. Two special order cakes for this Saturday, and then I usually make four cakes for the bakery on Saturday to sell, and they're sold by slice. The macarons are always best sellers. Okay, anything else? What kind of cake do we have today? Um, it's a vanilla with a brownie batter filling, and then a probably the um, sticky buns and cinnamon rolls because I have those every week. Um, and even the cream horns, because I wrap, you know, wrap those myself around dowel rods and... Uh, do six cream horns. All, all the cream <laughs> horns. <laughs> uh, bread, of course, after I took the bread course, I was, I was selling the sourdough, so that was good. Can we do the madelons too? Yes, yes. Lori's passion for cooking goes beyond just baked goods. I do pop-up dinners. I usually try to make dinners that people would normally have to go to Indianapolis or Cincinnati. It's not food that they're going to get around here locally. I, we have done um, beef bourguignon, I've done coca ven, I've done uh, a cassoulet. So I try to choose those things that you're just not going to get. There's always um, a dessert with it and usually I make homemade ice cream for it too. So I'd like to do some more of those. But All of these great sweets and fine dining lead to the question. How did an elite artisan bakery land in St. Paul, Indiana anyway? Well, it's because Lori imagined it. I was working as a secretary at Shelbyville Community Church. In 2010, I had the idea of starting at the farmer's market in Shelbyville. And because I was baking cookies and things at home and everyone, I would take them to work and everyone seemed to really love them and just kind of to earn some extra money, I decided to do that. At farmer's markets, you can bake out of your home, out of your kitchen, in your home. 
as long as you uh, put a label on the food that it's uh, made in a home kitchen. Just cookies, cookies and um, like whoopie pies, um, some cakes, you know, nothing fancy. And so 2010, I did that every year and every year my uh, business started growing. I had more customers. Um, I didn't have a name yet. It was just my personal name, Lori Pike. And then um, in 2012, I went to a artisan bread school class in um, Kentucky. And it's taught by a gentleman from the United Kingdom. His name's Carl Shavitz. And that's where I learned how to make sourdough bread, um, focaccia, ciabatta, bagels. And um, after that, he kind of a, arranged um, for me to go to uh, Florial Bakery and Cafe in Chicago and kind of stage in the kitchen. And I was there for four or five days to see what all they do in the kitchen. That really, they, they make really uh, rustic, elegant uh, French pastries. So that kind of opened my eyes to more things than just cookies. I was actually working in their, their kitchen and it was stuff like separating berries and maybe uh, cracking eggs and things like that. And I got to see how a kitchen worked and it was weighing up ingredients and it just um, made me realize that what they were doing, I could actually do. So I came home with some confidence that I could take my baking to another level. When I came back from Florial, I started practicing with things like brioche dough and tarts and um, just different uh, fancier things, French pastries, macarons. And once I started practicing, I started selling them at the farmer's market and everything was a hit. As Lori's skill and customer base grew, so did the need for more space. Well, I knew I had to stop baking in my kitchen because it, I was baking so much that there was just not enough room. So we, this was a two-car garage, and we just decided that to do the farmer's market to be bigger, I needed we needed to convert this to this kitchen. So uh, we did that, you know, took the door down and everything, and uh, I'm licensed by the state to sell to restaurants and cafes and then to have my own place. And I hadn't planned on open a brick and mortar building. I was just gonna keep going to the farmer's market, baking out of this um, kitchen. And then in um, early 2016, probably in the spring of 2016, Adrian Scripture, who is a lifelong St. Paul resident, I had I bought a couple buildings in St. Paul and was remodeling them. And he asked if I wanted to put my bakery in St. Paul. and. I was blown away because I hadn't even thought of that. And the uh, guys at work, I, they knew I wanted eventually to leave my secretarial position. And um, they were so supportive all the time with me. And I told them what was going on. And the building wasn't going to be done until uh, probably the fall of 2016. So I kept thinking and thinking and I had fear that I wouldn't, people wouldn't come, I wouldn't make any money. And finally the pastors at work said, Lori, you just need to do it. Just need, that's pretty much, they, they kicked me out pretty much, but it was out of love and they knew that that's what I wanted to do and that was just the push I needed. So in October, I quit my secretarial position 
and in December I opened. So I come home from, uh, from selling at the shop and immediately, uh, you would think I wouldn't go to sleep, but <laughs> sometimes I can't sleep. Um, I start working on, cause my menu changes every week, except for those sta few staples. I start working on um, menu and then I, then I have to go get the ingredients. So on Saturday night, I never cook dinner on Saturday night because I'm way too tired. So we go out to eat every Saturday night. We get ingredients. And then Sunday, I work on the baking schedule. And I know exactly what I need to do Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. One yes, taste of Lori's food confirms the quality. Watching her meticulously prep for the week and hearing the methodical way she approached her career change, it's no surprise that she's having success as a professional baker. Sometimes she has trouble believing it herself. And you know, it's so weird because I feel it's been difficult for me to call myself a professional baker because I always had the, I always thought I didn't have the right to call myself. I get emotional. Because I didn't have the schooling for it. And I thought, what right do I have to call myself a professional baker? But I do feel that way. I am a professional baker. The biggest surprise is that I'm not tired of it. I absolutely love it. It's, and that I look forward to coming. I mean, it's hard work. I mean, before I was sitting as a secretary, sitting on my butt eight hours a day, and now I'm on my, my feet, but I don't get tired of it. I love it. Really, every, because I'm only open once a week, every Saturday is like a best day for me. And I'll think, geez, it, it can't be that good again. I mean, it's, it's got to dwindle off. The customers can't come this that many times every Saturday. And we go in and they show up. You know, it's, it's like yeah, that. Sugar and sweetener stuff over there. Okay. You can improve the quality of your Saturday by visiting Wildflower Bakery at 117 East Washington Street in St. Paul, Indiana. They're only open from 7 to 1030 in the morning and many folks pre-order on the Facebook page to make sure they get what they want. You can find them by searching at Wildflower Artisan Bakery on Facebook. Thanks, Lori. And finally, let's take a quick check of what's coming up at your Greensburg Decatur County Public Library with Lori Durbin. This is Pratt. Our children's librarian is also doing virtual story time every Monday. And so she's actually recording um, story time just like the kids expect to see it if they were sitting on the floor in the activity room. Um, she reads just like the kids are there, does, uh, you know, nursery rhymes or finger plays or songs or whatever. Um, she's actually gotten quite good at looking at an empty room and translating that into a really nice story time for the kids. And that's posted at 3 o'clock every Monday on our Facebook page and then also on our YouTube channel. So they can look for the Greensburg Decatur County Public Library on uh, both of those platforms and they can do virtual story time and they can see that, you know, whenever they want to. It's not just at three o'clock. She just uploads it at three o'clock. Um, and then we've been doing our, um, you know, our most important um, project. We do our Pinterest project of the month. That's been the thing that everybody's always interested in doing. And believe it or not, I'm doing somewhere between 35 and 40 people every month. Um, with a small craft that we do um, through a Zoom program, and we also do a video tutorial for those people who can't uh, make the Zoom program. So that is always the fourth Thursday of every month, so they can look into that. Um, the children's room's uh, really gearing up for our 
summer reading program, which is TAILS, T-A-I-L-S, and TAILS, T-A-L-E-S. So we have tales and then stories, you know, um, about animals and different things that have tales. Um, that's the actual theme this year, and it's kind of fun to work with. Uh, the children's room is working really hard on getting theirs together. Um, the teens also have a reading program, and um, the adults are also eligible. We want adults to continue to read through the summer, too. And so that will um, start at the end of uh, – toward the end of May is when we'll kick off that summer reading program. Uh, but it is we are we are gearing up. We are adding programs and adding different things that can be done all virtually. Um, and so uh, by then, I think also Mrs. Pratt will be doing outdoor story time. So we've got some things coming. Um, the building is opening sort of slowly. We do have computer services available for people. We have a curbside service. So if you want to check something out. Uh, curbside, all you have to do is either call us or you can email curbside at greensburglibrary.org and let us know what you want and we'll have it ready for you and you call us just like grocery pickup. We will let you know when your items are ready and then you can call us uh, when you get to the parking lot and we'll run them out to you. Thank you, Lori. That wraps up this episode of Beyond the Tree Tower, stories from Decatur County, Indiana. Thanks again to Jason and Kim for showing us around their Carnegie Library house. Thanks to Lori at Wildflower Artisan Bakery. And if you enjoyed the podcast, be sure you've subscribed to get the latest updates. Be sure to tell a friend about the podcast or leave us a review. Beyond the Tree Tower is a production of Decatur County Tourism. Now here's more from 650 North. We'll catch you next time, Beyond the Tree Tower. Beyond the Tree Tower.